ATV Talk, the podcast presents Inspired. Sit down with your host, Leonard Duncan, as he interviews men and women whose stories are so inspirational that they need to be shared. Hopefully, their stories may inspire you and create a change. Mondays at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Pat Kerrigan, how are you, sir? Good. How are you doing, Leonard? I'm doing great. Hey, I just want to thank you uh, very much for taking some time with ATV Talk. Um, the, a lot of the people in the industry may not know who you are, uh, being the man behind the camera so much for Dirt Wheels and all the other magazines that you've shot for throughout the years. Um, so what I wanted to do is I want to introduce you to the ATV industry that has been looking at your photos and seeing your photos for the past 30 some odd years. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Leonard. I appreciate it. Dude, it's my pleasure. You are a, you're an amazing photographer and a, and a pretty amazing guy. And, and we've got to spend some time in the dunes and I get to see you at work and I get to see you doing things that, that nobody else gets to see you do. And what I'd really like for you to do is if you could tell us how you got started doing this and, um, you know, elaborate on, on how the, the camera equipment and, the industry's evolved over the last 30 years. Yeah, it's, it's crazy how much it's evolved. I mean, I started the high torque uh, 1985, so it's been 35 years now. And at the time, I was working for a studio photographer out in Canoga Park, um, very successful photographer. He kind of took me under his wing right out of high school and just showed me the world of photography. And I just got, I've been addicted since high school. And uh, it was during a time, it was either feast or famine with the studio guy. And uh, it was during a time where it was kind of, um, there just wasn't a lot of work. And I, I, I talked to him, I said, Mike, I need, to, I need to find a steady job. And he said, Pat, I hate to lose you, but I completely understand. You know, you got to do what you got to do. So I picked up, this is old school. I picked up the LA Times and started looking through their classified ads and I see this ad in the LA Times. It said, staff photographer, darkroom uh, lab technician wanted. So I'm like, huh, that's kind of cool. I wonder what kind of magazine it is. And so I drove to 10600 Sepulveda Boulevard in Mission Hills and walked up, you know, set up an interview, walked up the stairs. And when I walked up the stairs, I'm looking around at these magazines that I've been reading since I was a little kid, you know, dirt bike magazine, dirt bike magazine being our granddaddy since 71. I was like, are you, you know, I just, it was one of those pinch me moments and I'm pinching myself going, wow, this is, this is incredible. I ride dirt bikes. I'm into photography and uh, here it is 35 years later and I'm still working for the company and Roland Hines is just, he's a, just a great person. And, um, He's been super loyal to me. I've been loyal to him and it's been a fun ride and I hope it never ends. It's been a great, a great adventure. I've seen so many changes within the magazine world. You know, we used to be, we used to be the source for all the information and all the news. And uh, we do seven monthly magazines, um, bicycle magazines, mountain bike, road bike action, uh, dirt bike, dirt wheels, UTV action, what used to be ATV action. And, uh, it, you know, it's a pressure cooker. Those deadlines, they really kind of wear you down after a while because every two days I have another magazine that I'm responsible for the images, whether I shoot for them or I scan them or I process the digital files. And uh, 
when I first started working for the company, I was working in the darkroom. So doing the old school developing of the film and, uh, it was a pressure cooker then. It's still kind of a pressure cooker today, but you have so much, so much more creativity dealing with digital files. I mean, there was no Photoshop back then. There was nothing. And we were basically an analog, you know, using film and stuff like that. So it's neat to see all the changes in the industry, whether it's changes in, you know, photography, imagery, imagery or changes in the machines that we photograph and test you know, every day it's, it's been pretty, it's been pretty, pretty fun. How do you like going out and shooting photos of the machine that you shot 30 years ago and you see it brought back to you and you're shooting photos of it today in a little bit different dress, but still the same machine. Yeah. Like our recent shoot that we did three weeks ago out of Dumont Dunes. Um, I was kind of thinking that same thing. I'm like, here we, here we are shooting, this Yamaha Banshee that I rode for the first time back in 1987, 88, when it was first launched. And uh, I mean, it's exciting to ride today as it was 30 years ago. And uh, although technology has changed quite a bit, there's nothing like the feeling of being behind a pair of handlebars. I mean, I know the UTV thing has just exploded and they're a lot of fun. There's no doubt about it, but there's something about being behind handlebars and flinging it around. It's a completely different sensation than be, besides being behind a steering wheel. I, I don't like the steering wheel as much. Uh, maybe I'm doing something wrong, but uh, handlebars on a, on a quad or a motorcycle or, or a three wheeler is, um, yeah, it's kind of where it's at. I agree. I, I completely agree. And there's a lot of people that still like to hang on to those bars. You know, it's just a different sensation, completely different. I, you know, what, what, what eases the pain of not riding is the mountain bikes. You know, I, I never liked the road bike as much, but you can ride a mountain bike. Yeah. It kills you going uphill, but coming down, is kind of fun. It is. It is. And that, and the mountain, that's why I ride three days a week and have for the last 25, 30 years. Cause we, we launched mountain bike action too. And at the time back in 1986, when we launched uh, mountain bike action, um, nobody really knew what a mountain bike was and, and that's evolved to where, you know, they went from fully rigid bicycles to here comes the front fork back in 1990-91 and then now they're full suspension and to see how that's evolved over the years is just, it's just amazing. Yeah. yeah. I, I love it. You know, uh, what are some of the, or who are some of the guys that you've shot for? I've shot, um, you know, I, I've, I've always been known as kind of the special teams guy at High Torque. And um, I, I've shot for all seven of our titles, but I primarily shoot for UTV action, dirt wheels. Um, actually, I shoot for all of them except for dirt bike and motocross action. Um, they've got their full-time staff photographers and they're doing a fantastic job. Um, but I, I've, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be able to shoot RC cars, um, ATVs, UTVs, mountain bikes, road bikes. And um, like I said, I've always been kind of on special teams. Whenever somebody needs something different, unique, they call upon me. And, and I give them a little bit different perspective than, than most of the other photographers would provide. Oh yeah. You've always done us great. Um, and I, and most all of the magazines are, are, articles that you shoot look amazing. So 
Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Well, I'm not just blowing smoke because you're you know, sitting on the other side of the screen <laughs> or, or I'm probably going to be in the dunes with you at some time in the near future, you know, right. shooting another machine. It's true. You look at the quality of the photo and it's pretty awesome. Um, who are some of the guys that you actually got to shoot? You know, I know you've shot guys for us like Josh Rowe and Doug Eichner and, and you know, Garen Fuller, but who are some of the, the other guys that we would never think of that you've actually got to shoot? One of the first photo shoots I got to do was um, out at Hondaland out in Simi Valley. And it was with uh, David Bailey and Johnny O'Mara. And those guys were like my heroes back in the day. And they lived right next door to each other, right down the street from Hondaland. And we were able to kind of go into the property of Hondaland and shoot those guys just playing around. And I was like, again, one of those pinch me moments where like, wow, this is so cool. I'm actually getting paid to shoot two of my favorite heroes on dirt bikes. And uh, so that was pretty much one of the first photo shoots I did with, with legends like that. Um, I've shot with Jeremy McGrath. I went down to El Cajon and did a photo shoot with Ricky Johnson one time out in the hills of El Cajon. That was, that was a great time. Um, I shot with Jay Leno. We got a tour of his, his private museum facility out at, at connected to the Van Nuys airport. And, uh, so we shot there. That was a fun photo shoot. He, uh, somebody in the RC car industry wanted to present him with an RC car and it was a replica of his GT 40 that he had. So we went there and just did a really, he gave us a tour of the whole facility and that was pretty fun. Um, shot photos with, uh, Eddie Van Halen and uh, Sammy Hagar. Wow. Back in, uh, what was this, 1988. So it was the year that uh, Sammy Hagar joined Van Halen. And him and Eddie lived next door to each other in Malibu. And we went there and did a photo. Um, Sammy Hagar had a new mountain bike called the Red Rocker. And um, <laughs> so Zapata and I, Zapata Espinosa, he's still one of the editors of iTorque. We went to his house in Malibu. and. Uh, Little did we know that Sammy really didn't know much about the bike. They just, I guess Gary Fisher built it for him and they just threw his name on it because he liked to ride mountain bikes. And so we, we had a fun photo shoot with him messing around on his bike. Um, what year was that? That was 1988, I believe. That was the year that he joined Van Halen. So he was the new singer that just joined him. And again, we just had no, I mean, I had no idea that they would go on to, to have the success they had after that, but it's, that was, that was a lot of fun. That's incredible. What's, uh, what's one of the craziest things that's happened to you uh, out on a shoot? Oh man. One, one time I was doing a photo shoot out in Fillmore at the, um, they called it the Red Bull, uh, the Red Bull compound. And I was doing a photo shoot. Uh, we were shooting these little 250 um, like entry level sport quads. And we wanted to get up onto this hillside. Uh, I was shooting them down below. We were trying to get up on this, onto this little plateau. And one of the kids goes, ah, get on the back. I'll, I'll, I'll take you up there. I'm like, no, I'll just hike up there. I, I have my camera gear and backpack on. He goes, no, hop on. Let's, let, we'll just ride up there. So as we're riding up this hill, pretty steep hill, he gets about halfway up it and this thing starts to bog. He doesn't have enough power. And the wheels start spinning. And so we start this downward free coast free ride, rolling backwards. I'm hanging on to the guy for my for dear life. I mean, I'm just 
digging my hands into the <laughs> into his chest, and I'm like, <laughs> I was screaming, "Put the brakes! Put the brakes!" I'm trying, I'm trying, and we just buzz down this but this hill backwards, and then the the front end pops up. He goes ejecting over top of me, and we're cartwheeling down this hill. The quads flipping behind us, and I had just enough energy to kick him out of the way. Otherwise, I thought that the quad was going to crush me. But that was that was one of those things where your your life just kind of passes before you. <laughs> We've had fun shoots in the dunes. We'll be out at Pismo Beach shooting, and people come come up on us, and they're like, uh, "So, what are you guys doing here? You, you guys actually get paid to do this?" And, like yeah it's it's not all glamorous and glorious you know especially when you you've got a couple thousand dollars worth of equipment and you're just getting completely roosted by sand Um, yeah there's not a whole lot of fun in that but you know you got to get the job done well like a like a race machine do you have uh, camera prep and things like that where you have to go in and clean them and take them apart do you do that or do you pay somebody to do that no we do that ourselves everyone if they get really grimy a lot of times sand will get inside the lenses and we got to send those in to get repaired. But we try to, we try to take care of them ourselves. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Like dissecting your mountain bike, you're dissecting your camera. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What, where, where's the coolest place you've ever shot at? I mean, other than, I mean, Eddie Van Halen and <laughs> that's, that's a pretty badass thing to do. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a rock and roll fan technically, but you know, everybody knows who those guys are. Yeah, I, I brought, I actually just got a new, it was a Nishiki Alien mountain bike. And I just got it the week prior to this photo shoot. And I brought it with me and Sammy and Eddie were so excited about my bike. And I was like, you guys are excited about my bike? It's just, you know, and it was new at the time. It had elevated chain stays and it was very unique. And they were buzzing around on it, taking turns on it. And they just thought that that bike was the coolest bike. And at the time, um, Sammy Hagar had a bike shop up in San Jose and he called the bike shop and said, I don't care what it takes, but I want, I want this bike that I'm looking at right here in my shop right now, because this thing's like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> and then this, this was a funny little part to that, to that interview is in the middle of the interview, Eddie Van Halen comes walking in and asks Sammy for the keys to his Ferrari. And so Sammy throws him the keys of the Ferrari, Eddie back, backs it out of the garage and lays this skid mark about a quarter mile down the street, just screeches out of the, out of the driveway. And Zap and I just kind of looked at each other and he's like, rock and rollers, you know, there's <laughs> just the complete rock and roll life. It was too funny. Uh, when you deal with the off-road community, you know, and the, and the motorcycles and the ATVs, how it, I know that, Lauren and I are on the more the conservative side, um, but when you deal with some of the off-road guys, what it, what kind of crazy stuff do you get out of them? You know, we we get some. There's there's some crazy guys out there. One of the one of the nicest guys I've ever had the pleasure of doing a photo shoot with was uh, Michael Brown, and uh, and the guy is still racing today. The guy is incredible, just a, just an overall athlete and just a really quiet, mellow guy. Uh, John Tomac. He was one of our test riders at Mountain Bike Action back in the day, which is Eli Tomac's dad. And again, just very quiet, very kind of, you know, low-key kind of guy. But when he gets on a bike, look out. I mean, he, John Tomac was one of the most rounded mountain bike athletes ever. I mean, he, can, he was great at cross-country. He was great at downhilling. 
um, dual slalom, you name it. He, he like dominated for years. He was unstoppable. And uh, he was a really neat guy to, to do photo shoots with. I didn't know that he rode mountain bikes until I was watching a little blurb on Eli. Uh-huh. And they were showing the two of them riding mountain bikes. And it just lightly mentioned the fact that he was a, a mountain bike guru. And then I was out riding with you and, and you told me a little bit more of the story when we were out riding one time yeah. just in conversation. And, and I was like blown away that, that, that that guy was so good. Yeah. He came over from the BMX world and uh, when mountain bikes were just starting to become popular, um, Tomac lived about five miles from the, from our high torque office in, in mission Hills. And he used to come over and do test riding for us. And he was probably 17, 18, 19 years old at the time. And uh, it was kind of neat to see him just flourish and, and become so dominant in the mountain bike world. He, he was, he was incredible. Just super, super incredible. I know that you probably don't know all the ins and outs, but did he make a living doing that? Oh yeah. Yeah, he did very much so. And he, he raced competitively for about eight or nine years and did, did really well. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. And then his yeah, son that, goes on to be one of the most dominant motocross racers of our time. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he moved to Durango. Um, he was riding for um, Yeti cycles back in the early nineties and Yeti cycles used to be in Agora, California. They moved to Durango and that's where Tomac kind of settled and became a cowboy, bought a ranch um, and continued with Yeti. And, but he, he was sponsored. He had so many sponsors under his, his helmet. He was, uh, he was incredible. And that's where, and that's where they built a, like a private track on his ranch in Durango. And, you know, and then they had Eli and, um, that's where he was able to get a lot of moto time up in the hills of Durango. That's freaking incredible. They have some pretty cool mountain bike stuff up there too, from what I've seen. Yeah. It's like the mountain bike Mecca. Especially in the early '90s, everybody, all the pros were to move into Durango. Um, Ned Overend, are you familiar with Ned Overend? Uh, no, I've never. Uh, no. Yeah, another just fan, and he still he still races Ironmans today. I mean, he can go to any race, and I, I believe he's like in his mid 60s, and still doing really well competitively. That's crazy. But yeah, everybody was moving to Durango in the early '90s. That was the the mountain bike mecca. Are you? Do you have a phone on? Yeah, I'm gonna turn it off here. Sorry, apologize. Okay, all good. Usually, it's, usually it's me. <laughs> you know. With working with 15 different editors, the phone blows up nonstop. Uh, you know, I'm 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 new to the. I I dare to say that media because I don't believe that I'm a media guy. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I still believe myself as to be a professional race mechanic that works for an engine facility and that builds ATVs for a living. Um, and, and because this isn't a living, this is a labor of love and an industry that I love so much that there, there's never enough stories to get them out, you know, and I keep, I keep wanting to, uh, grow the, the ATV talk into, um, something larger, but it, it, it grows so fast. I can't control it. Right. I can imagine. I can imagine. You know, we're, 
we're uh, when when this airs, we'll have already be be doing a, a Tuesday Friday thing, and uh, we're thinking about even before we've done that to to doing a uh, an optional Mondays uh, as well because content. You know, I mean, I, I've spoken to to you and and other people uh, about having content and how important it is, and uh, I have too much. Oh, do you? So that's why I have to expand and do more days. Got it. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. And that's a good thing. <laughs> and everybody wants me to go video and I, I at it, working a full-time job, which you know how busy you are and right. you know, and working a full-time job and then doing my other business, which is building race bikes and prepping and then doing ATV talk. There's no time to go video. Or do, you, do you have time to sleep? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> right now, I'm averaging about five hours a night, maybe six. Right. Um, uh, I don't even think Lauren even understands how many hours ATV talks take, uh, how much time ATV talk takes at night. I bet. You know. Um, time gobbler. Well, you, you know, you and I were sitting down trying to connect and we were having a little glitch. Okay. Well, if that takes 30 minutes, it, it adds 30 minutes to your day. And yeah. then there's things that I do when you and I are finished, which you know, because you have to go back to the office and do the things that I don't know anything about after yeah. you shot my beautiful quads. Yeah. You know, so there, you know a lot of the ins and outs of what I'm going through because of you, because of your life and the things that you've got to do. Um, right. So, so it's nothing. It, it's nothing. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Um, but let's get back on. Let's get back on track. Um, okay. How was the transition from film to digital? It was. Uh, it was a huge learning curve for me because I, I, you know, I wasn't a computer guy. And it was either sink, sink or swim. You know, I, I, one of the guys at work at the office there, his name was Wally, uh, Wally Dykin, great man. He passed away about five, six years ago. But he kind of led us in the computer era that we're in today. And um, I, me- I remember just, uh, you know, shifting from the darkroom, processing film to scanning film. We, we bought Nikon scanners at the time because they were like top of the line scanners. And we went from scanning our film, and then that lasted for about maybe six or seven years. And then the cameras got so much better that the, the scanners kind of got pushed aside, and then we were just dealing with digital files coming from cameras. And so, you know, you, you go from processing film, scanning film, to dealing with digital images coming straight from the camera. It took a while for the cameras to get good enough that we could shoot action with them. Because the first digital cameras had a lot of delay to it. So you'd be panning with the action and you shoot it. And it was, you almost kind of had to shoot it just before you thought the peak action was going to happen. Because there was always that, you know, a couple second delay. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but Nikon and Canon really, really, uh, they got their act together and they just started producing fantastic cameras. And, uh, and today, I mean, it's, I'd say most, most of the photographers back in the day, we were all on Nikons and then about half of them shifted over to Canon. And now it's about a 50, 50, 50 split between Canon and Nikon. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And it just drove the price up. I'm sure on the equipment. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Does does Hightark help with any of that, or are they expect that's a tool you have to provide for yourself? Yeah, unfortunately, that that we do have to buy our own equipment, and um, yeah, he'll, he'll repair any equipment that gets damaged. But uh, I think it just keeps it to where photographers just don't have a boatload of equipment, and they're just buying the you know top of. I always try to buy, you know, maybe a level down or two from the top of the line equipment. Just because I'm in the dirt, shooting in the dirt all the time, I can't justify spending ten grand or five grand on equipment if it's just going to get hammered by dust and sand and and uh, all the elements of outside. So I, I try to, you know, I, I'll buy something a year or two used and um, saves me a lot of money. It's like buying a used car, you know. The minute you drive it out the lot, it just depreciates immediately. So I try to buy a year or two old camera that's been, you know, lightly used and. Um, and I get maybe three or four years out of it. And then sensors get better. Technology gets better, faster focus lenses. And then I'll switch, you know, sell it out and trade up to some new equipment. Well, what is your, uh, I know you're a pretty down to earth guy. What does your wife think of uh, the kind of exciting life that you do live away from home? Yeah. You know, they're, they're not, um, yeah, we've been married, uh, next May will be 30 years. Cheryl and I have been married. And so, um, you know, they were, the, my youngest two were my, like anytime we did any mini testing, whether it be a 50, 80 or a 90, they were my little test riders. And then they got to the age where they were becoming girls and they didn't want to get dirty anymore. So I had to uh, rely on my buddies that had sons that were, you know, eight to 10, 12, 14 years old. And they became my mini tester. I mean, my good friend, Darren Heft, this is a funny little story. Um, Darren Heft used to race Supercross back in the early nineties and uh, raced it for a couple of years competitively. And then um, made, you know, made a pretty good go at it. But I remember he, he was one of my buddies that he always, you know, cause he's hardcore motocrosser. They always kind of looked at quads like they were couches. They used to call them couches. And he's like, oh man, those things are lame. And I'm like, come on, Darren, you gotta take, you gotta just take one for a spin, please. Just you gotta check it out. And uh, so one time I had a photo shoot lined up at Dumont Dunes, and I needed some test riders. So I took him and my other friend Brian Sweeney out there. And uh, they had never been on a quad. Well, they kind of seen quads and played on them from time to time, but they'd never been on a serious sport quad in the dunes. So they both got on them. We, I took them for like the ride of their life. We came back and they're like, okay, I get it now. I get what these quads are all about. And I said, yeah, I mean, this, it, was the, it was the right environment, the right quads. We had the Honda 450, Yamaha 450, a Banshee, um, Suzuki 450. I mean, that's, this is like 2005, 2006, when the sport quad market was just on fire. And they were, they were just, just blown away. They're like, I have a whole new appreciation for quads now because these things are incredible. That's awesome. That was pretty fun. Didn't Darren ride one of ours? He did. Yeah, I, 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 he's ridden a couple of your, your guys' project machines over and the years. The, the he, one, he, that I can, one that comes to mind is the LT500 in the yeah. Gizmo. Yeah. Actually, that was Brian Sweeney, my other buddy, okay. Brian Sweeney. And they both raced, you know, whether it be works races or – um, Supercross, 
Um, Brian's braced Baja a few times and same thing. He was the same kind of way. Like, what are these quads? You know, I'm not quite sure if I really can wrap my head around a quad. And then he rode your, the 500 to Pismo beach. And he was like, wow, okay, that, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. He had a lot of fun that day. Yeah. He, he rode the wheels off of that girl. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He did. Funny story with those two guys. We, uh, we were doing a photo shoot out at, at Dumont and we were back at the big dunes out of Dumont and we were coming back to, to go through that sand wash. that takes you back to little Dumont. Mm-hmm. And one of the machines had a sidewall tear and, uh, or no, no, it wasn't that, um, something happened mechanically. It just, it just quit running. We couldn't get it to run again. So Brian's, uh, um, Darren's like, I'll, I'll tow Brian back to camp. So we got a couple toe straps, uh, tie downs, made a toe strap out of it. And Darren's, we're towing him back to little Dumont and Darren's flying down this sand wash, pulling Brian behind him on the quad that broke down. And he's pulling him like a water skier and like Brian swinging outside the wake of, of the quad. And I'm behind the two of those guys and I can hear Brian screaming at the top of his lungs, slow down, will you slow down? And Darren, you know, Darren is Darren is he's wide open, just had the quad pinned and this was for miles. And I'm just sitting back there laughing as hard as I could. And Brian's hanging on for dear life all the way back. We get to the truck. Brian peels himself out of the quad and, and he's just shaking and trembling. He's like, I'm going to kill you. And we're all just sitting there laughing. It was just, it was hysterical seeing that happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been that guy. I, I get it. <laughs> I've been both of the guys, you know, the right. one, the one driving and the one holding on. Right. <laughs> That's too funny. Oh God. You know, I I've got to do some pretty cool stuff with you uh, over the years, but if you had to, if you had to sum it up, you know, what, uh, what's the, the, the love for you? Just being able to, to test drive the best machines on the planet, whether it's quads, UTVs, mountain bikes, road bikes, um, we, we get to test the latest, greatest things, you know, it's, it's, you know, every month we get a new batch of machines coming in and to be able to get out, you know, after the editors have put it to the test, I'll kind of poke at them just as a favor and say, Hey guys, do you mind if I take that home for a couple of days? And they're like, yeah, just keep, keep it, you know, keep it safe and, uh, bring it back when you're done. And to be able to ride the latest machines out there. I mean, I haven't personally had to buy a mountain bike, a quad, or a UTV in over 20 years. But every couple months, I get to, to keep one for a couple weeks. And uh, that's, that's what really keeps me motivated and keeps me driven. That's one of the perks, put it that way, at High Torque, that we get to, to, to ride the latest, greatest machines out there. That's awesome. That is so awesome. You, you, you kind of danced around the, the, the question about your wife. Did, uh-huh. What does she think about it? I mean, I, I know what my wife, how, why my wife is happy that I'm successful, but she's not keen to off road and uh, working like I do and, and the passion that I have for it. I mean, she, she loves that, but it's just not her thing. It, my wife, the same way. I mean, she, she, like when she started having kids, she quit riding. We used to go out to Dumont, Glamis, Pismo. And uh, she had a little get off on a quad on a V-Force 
um, <laughs> Kawasaki V-Force. I, I was taking it for a spin out at, at Glamis, and I was trying to find some nice, mellow, smooth lines for her, nothing too crazy. And we're coming back to camp, and I hit this funky off-camber that had some weird little uh, formations to it, and I hit it, and as I'm hitting it, I'm like, man, I hope she's not right behind me. And I turn back to look, and sure enough, the quads, you know, uh-huh. just doing a little quick little flip and uh, she jumped up pretty quickly. I rode back there and, you know, she stood up and did the whole limb check thing, shook her arms off. And uh, I'm like, I was hoping you weren't going to take that line. She's like, I'm just following you. Like you told me to do. And, uh, <laughs> but after that, it, it kind of spooked her a little bit, kind of spooked her a little bit, but uh, you know, and, and then of course, you know, she started having kids shortly after that. So just being a mom and being safe. She, she's, she's really good about me and understanding that this is what I do. And she, she, she me. she's not, she doesn't give over me. She's not controlling of my time. And she knows this is my life. This is my world and just go and do what you do, but be safe about it. So she's pretty good about it. She's a good sport. That's awesome. Yeah. So let, let's yeah. do some let's do some breakdowns here of uh, sport quad favorite. Oh gosh, probably the Raptor, Yamaha Raptor. Which one? There's four of them. <laughs> um, the Raptor Seven Hundred. Really, that's yeah. your favorite, huh? Uh, the Z Four Hundred, the Honda Four Hundred, the Z Four Hundred, super fun, playful little bike. Um, the Raptor just power to the moon, like especially out at the dens. Um, that Raptor, pretty incredible machine. The the new um, Polaris Sport uh, X, the Sportsman XP one thousand, the one that we had out at Dumont a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that thing is a beast. I mean, you can't fling it around and toss it around like a like a four fifty, but man, those things. It, I mean, it just butter smooth over ripply sand and and just power to the moon it's like riding a truck yeah exactly it's like a monster truck oh so crazy yeah i I, I mean i didn't ride it very long just a couple minutes but man it was big and it was smooth and had lots of power it's impressive it's really impressive it's even more impressive that polaris put it together right i said that out loud oops (laughs) No love lost between Polaris and I. So, um, it, it, mountain bike. Oh gosh, um, non e bike. Non e bike. Um, Pivot Cycles makes some fantastic bikes. Um, Santa Cruz, great bikes. A specialized stump jumper. Um, the Trek Fuel. Any of the fuel lines, the Trek Fuel Nine. I'm just. There's so many great, but they're so refined now. It depends on, you know, gone are the days of, of early mountain bikes where you just bought a bike and you threw your leg over the bike and you just went trail riding. Now everything's so specific. You got your downhill bike, you got your cross country bike, you've got your enduro bike, you've got your play bike, you've got bikes that climb really well. Um, so it just depends on on what type of riding you do. So many of my friends that are either just getting into it or getting back into it, they'll ask me, what kind of bike do I get? I'm like, well, what's your budget and what kind of, what kind of riding do you want to do? Because everything's so specific now. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I've owned I've only owned two treks, and I bought a fuel and a uh, remedy. Uh-huh. And, um, my I loved my fuel. Yeah, those truck fuels are great bikes. The the gosh, I just it was a twenty six, and I just it, it would do everything that I wanted to do and more. Um, I like the speed of my remedy, but I hate. I, I did just never been comfortable. Uh-huh. You know, it just doesn't turn this way, same way. It climbs good, probably climbs better than my fuel, but it doesn't go down. It, it, you know, you get any, any dry dirt or loose dirt and it's just not, uh, it just doesn't stick. That fuel stuck to the ground. It was just yeah. so awesome. You yeah. Know? The pivot, the pit, have you, are you familiar with pivot cycles out of? Uh, yeah, I've heard of them, but I've never. I've never got to ride one. Yeah, Chris Cocalis, he's definitely done his homework, and those bikes are so refined, just a beautiful, beautiful bike. Great bike. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I am limited. I, you know, as you well know, uh, everybody's going to end up on an e-bike eventually, you know. Like they say, with age comes a cage, with age comes an e-bike. Well, I'm going to fight that a little long, a little bit longer, solely due to the cost. Right. Yeah, come on. You know um, about that? The, a really good e-bike is right on par with a really good mountain bike price-wise. Because, I mean, you, you can get a decent e-bike right now for five, six grand. And to get a really good mountain bike, it's, you know, they're five, six grand, you know, the price range. And then, but like, like I tell people, you know, so many of my friends were e-bike haters for years and years and years. And then if you don't have the time to put in it, if you're the type of guy that's going to only ride maybe once a week, twice a week at most, the whole time you're out there, you're suffering, you know, mountain biking, it's in some people want to suffer, but on an e-bike, you go out there and you can suffer as much as you want to do. But the beauty is you can dial in the amount of suffering you don't or do want to do just by using the different power modes. So a lot of times I'll go out in full eco mode, which is the lowest mode. And you can go out there and you can destroy yourself. You know, you can pedal as hard as you want. But the beauty of it is you can go twice as far in, in about half the time. And you climb up stuff that you normally would avoid on your regular mountain bike because e-bike, you're getting pedal assist. And so I'm seeing more and, my, more and more of my friends that are my age that are jumping on the e-bikes. They were haters a year or two ago. Now they're like, same thing. I get it. I kind of get this now. Now it's all about just going out there and enjoying it. And, and you can suffer as much as you do or you don't want to do. That's the beauty of e-bike. I was talking to Doug because he's got one. And he said, my rides went from 11, 12, 15 miles to 18 to 30 miles. And I'm more wiped out at the end of those long rides than I was in the short rides because I'm doing it longer. I'm going farther and I'm, I'm actually putting out more effort. Sure. And, but it's, it's smaller effort for a longer period of time. Exactly. Um, a good friend of mine, Jose Gonzalez, he works at Trek Bicycles. He's part of their R&D development program. And just, I think maybe a year and a half ago, he was diagnosed, he's got a, um, he's got AFib. And so he, he can't push it to the level that he used to. And the doctor advised him, hey, I would just solely ride e-bikes now because it's easier on your heart rate. You're never like going anaerobic. You ne- you're never pushing that threshold on e-bike that you normally would do on a regular bike. And so, but, and he's completely content. We're just riding his e-bike full time now. And uh, another great guy that, that 
that makes bikes better today. You know, he's, he's a part of the R&D development. So he's working on suspension and making bikes more refined and better for truck cycles. That's awesome. Yeah, because like I said, that fuel, dude, it just went through the bumps, went down the hills so good, and the remedy just has never, never been that great. You know, I don't think that the fit just is never there. But you know, it, it's kind of like you do with the quads. If you, I know there's a lot of people that do fitment on bikes, and it's all about getting the setup right on a mountain bike, um, getting the suspension travel dialed in, um, air pressure, um, making sure that everything is dialed. Because so many times I'll jump on a bike that's set up for somebody lighter or heavier than I am, and I'll get on it, and I'm like, man, this thing's a roach. But once I start playing with the, you know, shock pressure and the valving and making sure the dampening and the compression is right and air pressure is right, then, then the bike really shines. But it's just a matter of dialing it in and making sure it's dialed for your weight level. Yeah. And I, I think that I bought the wrong frame size because the, you know, <laughs> there wasn't enough uh, technology at that time. Right. Uh, I, I guess from now, when you buy a 29er, you buy a little smaller frame. Um, and I think that I bought a bigger frame, you know, thinking yeah. that you need a bigger bike. And it, it, no, you don't want a bigger bike. And uh, right. yeah, it just, it just didn't work out. It just hasn't worked out for me. It's all I got. So I keep riding it. But sure. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it is, is what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, motorcycles. Dirt bikes. I, uh, I kind of beat myself up on them. Like back in the early eighties, I blew out my knee, um, in Tampa land over in Northridge, California, um, playing around on dirt bikes back there before all the housing got developed. And I blew out my knee and I just didn't know how to crash. Right. Because, you know, <laughs> you know as well as I do, it's all about knowing how to crash. Right. Because it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. And oh, I stuck the leg out there thinking I was, you know, going to save myself or whatever and ended up just blowing out my knees. And so that's why I really got into mountain bikes, just not only to rehab my knees and you kind of get that same feeling of mountain biking as you do motoring, but you're also getting a cardio out of it. But yeah, dirt bikes were fun and I, and I still ride them on occasion every once in a while, but uh, not as much as I do say quads in the dunes because that's just, for me, a quad, a really good quad in the sand dunes, it's like a mixture of skate park and snowboarding all combined together. And especially if it's a nice, smooth day, you go to Glamis on a nice, smooth spring day after some winds have blown, and it's just butter. Just butter. That's pretty I'm awesome. Johnson to get back out there with you guys soon. Uh, we're, we're actually going uh, the – the seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth, and twentieth. Really, Glamis uh, of December. Going to Glamis, yeah. Okay, of December. Oh, nice. Fun trip or work trip? Fun. Oh, uh, nice. Well, it's supposed to be fun. I I don't know how it will work out because I never seem not to take my tools and I never seem not to work on something. We're right. gonna yeah, we're gonna see how that works out for me, and I'm gonna try not to. I'm gonna try not to work on anything for a few days. Nice. Nice. I don't. When I go on vacation with my girls too, I leave the cameras at home. I'm not take. Don't worry, girls. We're not bringing machines. We're just going to go and unplug and have a good time. 
I still don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, you know, I went over to Europe for my honeymoon with my wife and uh, Raphael Sonic. Uh, I, I'm sure you've heard of him, the, the, a Dakar champion. Uh, yeah. He's a pretty phenomenal guy. And um, so we're getting, we're winding down our trip and uh, my wife wasn't feeling well, but uh, he throws us in a helicopter, throws me in a helicopter and we fly out to what they consider their dunes in Poland, which is a uh, flat piece of sand. <laughs> I mean, it's got a couple rises in it that might be 10 feet, maybe. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, we go out there and, and, uh, and did some riding on some of his Dakar bikes and uh, we're doing some shock work with one of his shock guys trying to get a different perspective of how the machine worked. And, and uh, they put me on this clapped out thing that, that was massively in need of need of service. And um, we did some, uh, did some work on it and uh, made it a little better uh, talked about his package. And, and that was a lot of fun. So, uh, can't ever get away from the work, you know. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, 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 you have a party. I'm sure that there's people who are asking you about taking photos and things like that all the time. Yeah, or I'll be I'll be at the office and one of the guys or one of the editors will holler over the wall. Hey, can you come over here and help me pick out some photos? And I'm like, guys, I've been staring at photos all day long. That's the last thing I want to do is come over there and look at some more photos. Right. And then you get up and walk over there and look at some photos, right? Yeah. Yeah. Eventually I'll cave in and go over there because that's, that's just what I do. But yeah, pixel, pixel burnout. I just, I mean, it's great to be able to play with pixels and make photos better. But after a while you're like, I just need to get away from looking at that flickering screen all day long and look at something that's just other than pixels, you know? Right. So I'm sure you don't watch a lot of TV when you get home. Nope. No, nope. <laughs> I mean, I do on occasion. Yeah, I do on occasion, but, uh, I don't, I don't get on the computer. I'll tell you that much. That's the last thing I want to do when I get home is get, and I think that's the beauty. That's why a lot, you know, people tell me, well, print media is dead. And I'm like, well, no, it's not because there's so many guys out there. I know the younger crowd, you know, guys in their twenties and thirties, they don't know what a magazine, they've never subscribed to a magazine or they don't, they've never really picked up a magazine, but there's that 40 year old reader that we have. We have so many dedicated, loyal readers in so many different countries that they could be like me. They could be sitting on a computer all day long. And that's the last thing they want to do is get back on the computer and start surfing the web, looking for information about their quad or their mountain bike or their dirt bike, or they want to sit on the couch, relax, open up a magazine, something tangible, that's not a flickering screen. And so we've noticed that the 40 year and over crowd still wants to hold a magazine. So, um, thankful. I mean, we have all of our magazines are all digital as well, but they're all for the are also offered in print media as well. And like I said, we're in 40 different, 40 different countries all over the world. So, uh, yeah. you know, that's kind of funny. Uh, I, I'm in that, category and I would prefer to pick up a magazine and read an article versus reading it on uh, the phone or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's, it, there's something about seeing it in print when you're looking at it on the internet, it's no big deal. Yeah. No, you're right. 
it, to me, it doesn't have the same flair or flash, you know, when you pick up that, well, we're also come from the air when magazines were, Oh, you're in the magazine. Whoa, that's just the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and now it's, it, it's things like social media and podcasting. You know, if you're, if you're on there, you're somebody, I guess, I, I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know the perception of what the young people, what the young people think, you know, yeah. have to, uh, my, my, uh, my children are actually who help develop all this and, and, and make it what it is. Uh, I have my wife's three children, Daniel, uh, Paula and, and, uh, Valeria, and then my son, Danny, uh, my daughter, Juliana doesn't get involved much. But with those four, Danny lives in Idaho, so I bounce ideas off of him all the time and, and ask him what, what he thinks. I mean, he works as much as I do, uh, so it's hard to, to connect. Uh, Daniel has this knack for getting a hold of people. Mm-hmm. You know, I know this guy. I've spoken to him freaking a dozen or more times. I don't have his phone number, and I don't know how to get a hold of him, and then the next day, Daniel freaking shows me a message. Yeah. He's wanting to talk to you. You know, I gave him your phone number. You, he's going to send your, his phone number over. And then two days later, I'm freaking talking to him on ATV talk and, and scratching my head. Like, uh, you know, I've been trying to get a hold of him for six months. <laughs> and this kid just nails it in a day, you know, right. Uh, Valeria does all of my, my, my editing and, uh, layout and helping me, uh, with, the making of the, of, of what the business is, you know, she's spread, you making the Excel sheets and things like that, that you have to have. Uh, and Paula is a social media advertising kind of, a, a, I can't call her a guru cause she's not old enough yet, but she's pretty talented young lady. And, and, uh, when she tells me to do something, I, uh, I have to listen because, I, I know nothing about it. You know, if it was me, I'd turn the thing off and, but then we wouldn't have a, we wouldn't have a, a podcast and you know, I, I, I wouldn't be having an interview with you right now and, and you know, and telling your story. So yeah. that's neat. Yeah. So we're, we're all growing and, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't think I'll ever consider myself a media guy, but um, I'll let you, I'll let you do that. And uh I want, I want you to know how much I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy and I know uh, how much you need your family time and your, and your, uh, your downtime per se. And, uh, I, I know that this is a, this is a, a not your, your ball of wax per se. Yeah. Uh, but my wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah. Just a little bit. And, but you have something to tell us and you had something to share with the, with the listeners, uh, because nobody, nobody talks to the guy behind the camera. And, uh, I want everybody to know who Pat Kerrigan is because you are one of the best and, and they, they need to know who you are. Thanks. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Any closing thoughts for, uh, for everybody? No, I just, um, looking forward to this COVID thing ending and resuming back to the world that we once knew, you know, I, I just hope and pray that, you know, it's, there's so many businesses that are just falling apart and unraveling daily, whether it be in our industry or just in the world in general. And I'm looking forward to a time where we can go out there and spend some time out in the dunes or on the trail somewhere and not 
having to wear a mask. I mean, this it's just completely turned our world upside down. And I really pray for so many people that are out of work. And I know that I know um, mountain bikes, UTVs, quads, they they kind of take us out of you know all of our problems and our issues that we're having. I mean, you you look at the bike, you look at the bike shops here, and they're just completely empty. I mean, their inventory is gone. And you look at trucks heading up the five freeway or the 14 freeway, heading out to the desert, and they're just loaded with with their camper trailer and their bikes. And so people are finding ways to get out there and reconnect. And I think that's the one good thing about COVID is that people are, you know, getting outside, you know, going outside and enjoying their toys, which is a good thing. Yeah. You, you, you see families getting back together and doing family things and interaction. Uh, You know, I was talking to uh, a, a young man, the other night uh, for my inspired episodes. And he said, one of the coolest things he's seen was because uh, he's a plumber was moms and dads doing homework with their children and working with them. No, the kids need to be in school, but who are the best teachers in their lives, but their parents. And yeah. to see that interaction again, he said, it, 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 he was very happy for it, but also at the same time feeling, you know, that it was wrong because we got to get out of the house. You know, these people have no life. They're just stuck in their houses and it's just, that's not good. No, it's not good. It's so sad, but yeah, I just hope things return back to normal and we can get this all behind us. So everybody, Pat Kerrigan, he's one of the premier photographers in the, in the off-roading industry, especially in the ATV mountain bike stuff. Uh, Pick up your Dirt Wheels magazines. Pick up your UTV action, dirt bike, motocross action, mountain bike action, road bike action, and electric bike action. There you go. You like uh, action. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we've given them all to you. Um, you know, pick up the hard copies because there is still something very special about a seeing your picture in the magazine or b reading that article about your hero and. Uh, Look for Pat's name down there as the guy that took the photo because uh, he do, he does a lot of that stuff. And um, if you have any questions for us, you can always get a hold of Dirt, Dirt Wheels or uh, get a hold of us at ATV Talk, and uh, we can fill you guys in on how to get in touch with the magazines. So uh, again, Pat, thank you very much. Please thank your wife for uh, for this time because I know you guys are pretty tight, and uh, I appreciate you uh, spending the evening with me. And I know we were a little behind schedule today uh, because I was taking care of my family uh, and I appreciate your patience with me. No problem. Always a good time talking to you, Leonard. And thank you for supporting our magazines as well. We, we appreciate that. Well, yeah, my brother is a pretty loyalist and and he still believes in the print uh, versus the social media. Um, and so do I, uh, even though I have a social media thing right here. Uh, So it's kind of a, catch 22 but yeah. uh, and they go hand in hand for the most part uh we're, we're yeah we're all trying we're all growing you know uh, the the white hair guys like myself have to look at social media a little different way uh it's a little tough sometimes but you know, we got to do what we got to do sure exactly but again you have a great night and uh, we'll catch up soon um let us know when you're uh, ready to go out to the dunes uh, we are getting some new machines ready for you So uh, be prepared.
you're going to, you're going to need some glasses for the next one. It's pretty bright. You know, you're going to be able to see it from a long ways away. Nice. All right. All right, brother. You have a great night. Thanks again, man. Thank you, Leonard. Talk to you. All right, buddy. Bye-bye. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. San Diego's Body Evolution Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking after your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolutions.org or call for an appointment, 858-571-0160. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.